0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. But if you're bowing when you're standing, one of the things that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to um, keep your back straight. Right? You don't want to bend your back as you bow because that looks more like you're just slouching, like it's kind of unintentional, like you're, you know, you're a little lazy, you know, you're just kind of doing it. Right? But it's, it's supposed to be kind of intentional. It's a form of respect. There are other things that we do uh, sometimes to show respect. Sometimes we kind of divert our eyes, we look down, In the act of prayer, sometimes you've heard someone say, uh, close your eyes and bow your head. Have you heard that before? Certainly. When we pray. So why do we do that? Well, uh, John Chrysostom and St. Augustine both said that we should close our eyes when we pray because it opens us up to our interior life. You know, the psalmist says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That was an old praise and worship song from the 90s, I think. We used to sing that one a lot, open the eyes of my heart. So how can I open the eyes of my heart? Well, the early fathers thought one of the ways that you could do physically, move in that direction, was to close the eyes on your head. (laughs) And so um, as to maybe not be distracted, uh, Ignatius of Loyola, he was more of a medieval thinker. He's the guy who founded the Jesuits. You might have heard of them. So he was very pragmatic. His point was you had to close your eyes because otherwise you'd be distracted. Now, as someone who's easily visually distracted, I'm like, oh yeah, I get that, right? I'm I'm kind of like that dog in the movie um, Squirrel. No, excuse me. The movie was up, (laughs) right? But every time he saw a squirrel, he was kind of distracted. Thank you for the laugh there. (laughs) I actually practiced that one. And somehow, that's funnier. <laughs> so, I'm easily distracted. So if you happen to see me driving, don't wave at me. <laughs> right, just let me go by, say a prayer, Lord help Robbie keep his eyes on the road. <laughs> that's, that's how I am. So, one of the reasons, uh, again, Ignatius said we should shut our eyes is so we wouldn't be distracted. Uh, Teresa of Avila, who was his contemporary, was closer to Chrysostom and Augustine. She was, she was thinking of it more spiritually, that we wanted to kind of open up ourselves to God, and it was easier to do with our eyes shut, because as we closed our eyes, it opened our heart. That's another thing uh, some have said as to why we bow our heads when we pray. We're kind of trying to place our head kind of below our heart. We're, we're going to prefer our heart over our head. We're not here to try and just think about things. We're here to kind of be present emotionally in the moment. And so we practice that. So there's this act of bowing. There's this act of, of kneeling, um, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and sometimes kind of clasping our hands. Like, you know, this emoji, <laughs> right? It's the praying hands emoji. Sometimes we send it to our friends when something, you know, we hear that something bad has happened, and so we just send them a text, and this just means I'm praying for you. So um, this is believed, I mean, it was practiced actually in ancient Judaism, um, but it was believed to be a sign of submission. Like my hands have been clasped together. There was a time in the church when, if you were going to get ordained, the bishop would hold your hands together as the bishop spoke to you, saying, uh, you know, do you solemnly promise to obey my direction and those who come after me? And you're like, I do, right? Not getting married, per se, but in a way you were, right? You are getting kind of um, promised to the church that you'd be dedicated in those things. Now, uh, I realize there's lots of other ways that we can pray. I mean, there are times that we read in Scripture, that uh, a character in the Bible, sometimes even Jesus, would um, look up into heaven and pray. You know, raise, raise your head. So that happens as well. And of course, there's no particular posture that you have to be in to pray. I mean, depending on what type of prayer you, that you are praying, um, you might just be calling out for help. So it's not like you have to pull your car over, you know, genuflex on the side of the street and say you know, a particular prayer. But that's a little different. It's one thing to kind of call out for help, and it's another thing to kind of place yourself in a posture that, in a way, reminds yourself what you're doing. I mean, the psalmist will also talk about this sometimes, right, like we read the psalms, and the psalmist will say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I mean, what's the psalmist doing there? I think part of what's happening is, What's natural to the person is not necessarily blessing the Lord. And what's natural to the person might be getting kind of sucked up in the circumstances or getting distracted or getting kind of busy. And sometimes our soul needs some encouragement, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul. (laughs) We've we've got something to do here. And, And the way we posture ourselves then, I think, contributes to that. Now, all of this uh, is interesting when we come to the book of Philippians and we see in the, uh, chapter 2 how Paul, who's in a pretty horrific situation, I mean, Paul is in prison. I mean, there's a good chance that his hands and feet are shackled. And now he's writing to the Philippian church and he's telling them some pretty amazing things like the, the cognitive dissonance between what Paul was experiencing and what Paul is writing just don't match. I mean, have you ever asked someone a question and, and they responded? You have to look at me on this one. They responded with a yes. <laughs> right? They're, 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 they're not nodding their head. They're shaking their head back and forth. Yeah? And you try to, you know, there's something that doesn't quite match. Like, you, you know, you ever tried to, you know, point at a color, uh, ever try to name a color? <clears throat> Let me see if I can get this right. I had a grad student uh, once work on a project, and he would show um, particular colors, but the colors were spelling a word. So he would spell the word blue, except the letters were yellow, and you'd have to, you know, respond. And he would measure how quick your response was. And in particular, he was studying folks who were bilingual to see if there was a difference between kind of one language and the other. So he would do it in English, and then he would do it in Spanish, and he was kind of measuring those things. It's that type of cognitive dissonance that I run into when I'm trying to read Philippians, because Paul's like in prison, and he's writing like this wonderful thank you letter to the Philippians who have helped him out, sent him some support while he's in prison. And so... You know, he's in chains, he's not free, he's suffering, and he's talking about the joy of the Lord. And he's talking about the way in which the Philippians kind of, kind of uh, lighten his spirit. I mean, the, 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 the two things don't seem to go together very well. And in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, he says this. This is how he opens, opens that bit. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Catch this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, This is interesting, like sometimes I imagine the sacrifice that Jesus had to give up. And I think typically when we think about the sacrifice of Christ, we think about the cross, and rightly so. But there's other sacrifices that have taken place before the cross. The internal and divine Son becomes human. Certainly the incarnation is is part of the sacrifice of God. And that's not a sacrifice that was temporary. I mean, as, as horrible as a Roman cross would be, the suffering on the cross would come and go. But Jesus would forever be human. Like, Jesus is to this day human. He didn't, he didn't like, lay off his humanity post-resurrection. Like, this is a quintessential Christian doctrine that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, and his full humanity is still human fully experienced by him. That the creator of the universe made the decision to have a life like ours and to forever then be in such a condition. That's big. That's solidarity. That's that's bowing way down. That's, That's the deep bow. Yeah how the creator becomes part of the creation. Now, we have nice theological words to talk about this, of course. He's begotten and not made, right? We're very careful how we talk about it. But it's still, it's something that he was ready to do for all of us and for all of time. Now, while I agree with that, I mean, I said it, Well, I mean, Paul said it first, but I repeated it. Well, I agree with that. I think we have to be careful here and not to imagine that somehow that sacrifice of Christ was in any way difficult, right, to, for, for, for God to become in, in human likeness and to be obedient to death. Now, the obedient to death part, obviously that could be struggle, right? No one wants to die. And Jesus himself in Gethsemane says, Father, may this cup pass from me. Yeah? So we can see the struggle within Jesus there. But I don't, I don't think the incarnation, I don't think it would be correct for us to imagine that the incarnation was in any, how, any way difficult. It would only be difficult if in some way God suffers from the same ego problems that we suffer from. Like, We don't like really to serve or be discounted or to bend or to bow to take a knee right submission is not something that comes naturally to us we like to win we like to be in charge we like to be respected we like to be called by a title you know we like people to revere us you know like what am I supposed to do just serve Just be um, taken advantage of, just be run over. I mean, that doesn't sound right. Yet, for God, service is not something that requires effort. For God, service is natural, deference is natural. For God to bend down and to prefer the creation isn't something he struggles to do. It's something that is completely normal. It's it's who we find God to be. Like if we wondered what God was like, we find out what God was like in the person of Jesus. And we see to have this mind in us that is also in Christ, This, too, is a visual, so I'll have you look, right? Paul wants us to have in our mind the same mind of Christ, and this is what the mind of Christ was like, that having equality with God, he didn't see that as something he needed to hold on to. He let go so that he could be formed into human likeness, and he was obedient, even obedience even obedient unto death, and even a death on the cross, right? So all of that, I think, is just natural for Jesus because Jesus is like the Father. And now what we're being called to do is to be like Christ. So when we serve the other, when we prefer our our spouse or our friend or our neighbor Or better yet, when we prefer the ones that we don't like, you know, the people that are of a different political party or the people that are a different religion or the people who are from a different, I don't know, country or they like a different football team, whatever it is that we're passionate about, right? When we prefer them, right, then we're being like Jesus. Now, I think it's natural for Jesus to be that way, I think it's somewhat unnatural for us, or at least we struggle with it, yeah? But it's as we're like Christ that we'll find ourselves preferring the other, emptying ourselves in favor of the other. Like, that's, that's the natural position to be in, right? Is, is to bow, is, is to prefer, and I think we can find all sorts of ways in which we do this. Let's say, um, by nature, you find yourself to be somewhat critical or argumentative. You know, be that as it may, right? Sometimes we need those folks in our lives. You know, they're, they're quick to kind of say, aha, that's wrong. And, that, you know, their, their first answer is always no. Well, if you find yourself that way, Maybe you should tether that just a bit, you know let let somebody else make a decision. I mean what if that decision doesn 't seem to be right listen it 's not going to change the world. Just defer a bit let's let 's say um, I mean, this might seem trivial, but we 'll we'll start here and we'll work up um, i 'll express this in ways in personal ways so I grew up, as you know, um, being taught to love Jesus and uh, the Washington football team. Yeah, those were the things I was I was taught to love. And I was also by implication and not sometimes not implication, sometimes explicitly taught to hate the devil and the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And then I became friends with Phil Grimes who is a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? And so I was, you know, as a young man, a really diehard fan. Like, I was for the Redskins and whoever was playing the Cowboys, right? didn't matter who they were. I was for the other team. Now, I don't say this to kind of brag, although it might sound a little braggy. Um, I found myself, as I loved Phil more and more, that I was happy for the Cowboys to win because I wanted my friend to be happy. There was something that was more important than my kind of football allegiance. And so I think we have to somehow find that life so our coworker gets promoted. We have, In our heart, we have to celebrate that. I'm not saying like externally, I'm like internally. This is what we're going after, our inner life, yeah? Like we can, we can celebrate that our neighbor got a new car, even though we think our old junker, it wouldn't be nice if we drove something different. We can, we can celebrate um, and prefer the other. You don't, you don't always have to be on top. I mean, Jesus had the ultimate opportunity for the ultimate pinnacle of the pyramid, right? Having equality with God, he did not see that as something to be held on to, but emptied himself, became a servant, became in human likeness, and was obedient. So we do that too then. And then I think we should find ways in our lives maybe to practice that a bit more. So maybe not every time, right? But sometimes I think it is good to change our posture when we pray. Maybe we should kneel, we should bow our heads, we should close our eyes, and we should open our hearts and receive. From the Father. This is, I believe, again, what's natural to Jesus and what can become natural to us as we surrender to Him. So, whether you think of it as submission or whether you think of it as surrender, I don't think we can ever have a full discussion about prayer or about the Christian life without discussing surrender. Another way that we might do this is uh, sometimes you'll see folks, right, they raise their hands during the songs as we're singing, yeah? There's various ways you might think of this. This, this is also a sign of surrender, right? Police come in, what do they say? Hands up! Or I guess a robber might say that too. <laughs> hands up! Right, but if you put your hands up, this is an act of surrender, right? I don't have a weapon. Or even if I do, I can't, I can't touch it. I can't get to it. Yeah? I also like to think of this, that, you know, uh, when you see a toddler and they kind of come lumbering towards you <laughs> and their hands are like this, right? they just happy to see you. They want to be held. Sometimes when I look around at some of you and I see your hands raised, I just envision the father looking down at a little toddler and saying, yeah, I got you. Come see daddy. But then there's this other side, right? There's this kind of difficulty. This is back to that cognitive dissonance I was talking about earlier. If we spend our lives kind of egotistically self-centered, right? Preferring ourselves instead of others. Um, assassinating the character of our coworkers. Then as we go to raise our hands in worship, I think the father sees the blood of his children in our hands. And as any father, that would disgust you. There are times throughout scripture where people are following the, the prescribed worship practice. Like it, scripture would say, or God has said, worship this way. And people were following that worship practice. And God's like, ooh, ooh, stop it. Right? They're offering sacrifices. And God's like, this really stinks. <laughs> I mean, there's no way a sacrifice could actually stink. I mean, as a carnivore. Um, you can imagine you put a lamb on, on the barbecue. Hmm. Time to eat, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's what the tabernacle or the, um, the temple would have smelled like, right? It would have smelled like a barbecue kind of all the time. Can you imagine how good that smelled? We should, we should burn some incense in here that smells like a barbecue. But there are times in which God says, please stop right? He, he, he says, this stuff stinks. There are other times in, in, in Revelation, he'll say, um, you're about to make me vomit. I mean, that's pretty gross, I guess, right? But he says, you know, if in the morning you might like something hot to drink, right? Or if you're hot, you might like something cool to drink. He said, but you guys are like lukewarm water on a hot day, right? Ugh. right we don't want to live a life like that we don't want our worship to make god sick and i think the way we do that is we prefer the pharisee you know he's praying in the temple oh lord i thank you that i'm not like that guy Whew. look at that tax collector what a sinner <laughs> But Lord, you've made me a tenured professor at the university. I was gonna zip up, but I don't think I'm feeling here. <laughs> but it's it's the tax collector, right? Who beat his chest? He bowed his head. He fell on his face and said, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." Right? One of the most common words for worship in the New Testament is a word that basically just means falls down. No, not falls down like trips and falls, like you you struggle with balance kind of fall. But more like kind of falls like kneels and you know, falls forward in an act of worship, like genuflexes. So people are always coming, and sometimes the older translations are saying they're worshiping, but I think a more common translation, they come to Jesus and they fall. They come to Jesus and they bow. What they're doing, right, because this was a more Middle Eastern culture at the time, right? They were coming to Jesus and they were bowing. They were saying, Rabbi, they were acknowledging his role.